what I love about photography is it's going to always have that representational aspect. The, the marble quarries of Carrara are going to be in front of me. A tree from the Colorado Plains is going to be in front of me. But I'm dealing with the frame. I'm dealing with the four edges and what takes place in the middle of that. And once it's hanging on the wall, it's about that place, but it's also about the experience of the work of art. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Ryan, president of the University of Virginia, and I'd like to welcome all of you to another episode of Inside UVA. This podcast is a chance for me to speak with some of the amazing people at the university and to learn more about what they do and who they are. My hope is that listeners will ultimately have a better understanding of how UVA works and a deeper appreciation of the remarkably talented and dedicated people who make UVA the institution it is. I'm joined today by Professor Bill Wiley, a renowned artist and photographer and the Commonwealth Professor of Art at the University of Virginia. Through his art, Bill investigates place, exploring what constitutes a place and how places are informed by physical features, human interaction, and time. His art can be found in the permanent collections of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the National Gallery, the Smithsonian Art Museum, and the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts. He has published seven books, served in various leadership roles in the art department, and has directed UVA's study abroad program in Italy since 2007. Bill has been an extraordinary member of UVA's faculty for over two decades, and today we are incredibly fortunate to have him on the podcast. Bill, thank you for being here. Thank you for asking me. So um, like everyone else, I'm a bit of an amateur photographer, so I'm especially excited to be speaking with you. I want to start at the beginning. You had what I think is fair to say a sort of unusual path to academia. Um, yes. And, yes. I'd, and I'd love to go back and trace it with you. Um, okay. So you were raised in the south side of Chicago, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, oh. the, the, I, would, I would say the south-south side, so right where suburbia sort of starts to cr creep into the, the urban texture of sh the south side of Chicago. And was it there that you became interested in photography, or was it later in life? It's interesting because I started making photographs when it was there. Um, you know, as a kid, I remember getting an Instamatic camera and taking pictures even in the fifth and sixth grade of friends at school and being sort of wowed by that pictures that came out, but I never really thought about photography as something to do other than just a fun little thing on the side. Um, when I was in high school, my sister was the the editor of the yearbook. And she, when I was a first a freshman in high school, she wanted to get me involved in things at the school. So she told me to come by the yearbook. And the guy who was the faculty advisor stuck a 35 millimeter camera in my hand and said, go make interesting photographs. Uh, huh. I had no idea what that was, but I wandered around, made some pictures. He got sort of excited about it. And I thought, well, this is kind of cool. You know, maybe you could do something with this. And uh, I started taking pictures then from then on. But uh, I would say it was quite a bit later before I thought to make it uh, my life's work. Yeah, right. So from high school, you went to college in Colorado. Correct. Correct. Uh, not right away, though. Um, I moved out to Colorado to rock climb. Uh, so I, I started rock climbing in high school and, you know, I did not know what I really wanted to do, but I wanted to do some kind of science like geology or something. Yeah. So I, I thought, okay, there's lots of rocks in Colorado. <laughs> I, I can climb them and I can study them. Um, and, uh, and when I got there, I realized that I needed to, uh, I mean, I was pretty ignorant about how college worked, but I realized, oh, I better become a resident of Colorado before I go to school here. Mm. Um, so I moved there, started working jobs, was climbing, doing things I wanted to do there. 
And it took me about eight years to get back around to going to college. No kidding. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was all I was doing was traveling and climbing and making photographs. So, so what years were this? Uh, let's see. I moved to Colorado in 1976. Okay. And so I uh, went back to school. Actually, so eight years is not the exact right because I went back to school first just to take a single class in photography at Colorado State University. I was living in Fort Collins and I thought, you know, I'll take, I'll sign up as a continuing ed student, right? Take, take a class, learn a few things about the dark room, and then get on my way to becoming a professional photographer. <laughs> um, but that, but one of the reasons I'm a professor is because I, in that class, the teacher just blew my mind as to the possi possibilities of what things could do. So the next semester, I took another continuing ed class. And then by the time the third semester rolled around, I was like, I should just get a degree in this thing. This seems like something I can stick around and do. And uh, was very excited to do it. That's so interesting. So this was not a really well-formed plan from the time no, you were nine, no, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. It was, you know, it was one of those things that uh, the, the sort of enthusiasm of my teacher, the uh, work that he was introducing me to, and the environment of academia were all things that I I sort of realized I wanted in my life yeah. and and I wanted to be around and you know people engaging in ideas and and working out interesting concepts uh, it, it was just very exciting and I was thrilled to be part of it and realized that that that's the life I wanted I sort of fell into it so can we go back to rock climbing for a second? Mm -hmm. So how big was rock climbing in the mid to late 1970s? It was actually huge. Uh, Yosemite Valley was the mecca of, of climbing in the world, really. Uh, climbers from all over the world came to America. And it was, you know, I started climbing in high school just as a way to get out of Chicago. Uh, I joined an outdoor club mm. because they took trips to Wisconsin and so when I graduated high school, I realized I just wanted to continue it. And I, the best place to, seemed to me to do it would have been Colorado. But it was very active. I was really involved in it. I mean, it's pretty much what I did. Every job I did, I worked on oil rigs or in restaurants or things like that, was all just to make enough money to go someplace and rock climb. Um, and I spent easily six, seven months of the year rock climbing. I think I told you when we last met that my oldest son has caught the bug of rock climbing as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And in some respects is trying to build a life around it as, yep. as well. And what did you find so captivating about it? Both the physical and the mental aspects yeah. of it. Um, I mean, it, you know, it was problem solving, you know, trying to figure out how to do the climb. But it also required, uh, you know, a physical skill. Yeah. But not even necessarily strength. Like one of the things I loved. Um, I mean, I'm a pretty physically active person, but I never considered myself to be super strong. Right. Um, but you had to learn balance and and strategy and moves, um, and all of that was super exciting. And of course, on top of it all, I loved being outdoors. And do you still climb? Here in Virginia, I mostly climb in gyms. Right. Uh, I go to a gym and climb in Richmond. I love the sort of still the physical of it. Uh, you know, once you get to be my age, it helps with your balance and things to to be able to do those moves. But the, the motion of climbing is really spectacular. And I yeah. love it. So back to photography. So you're in school. Um, and are you thinking at that point that you're going to become 
an academic or are you thinking you're going to become a professional photographer or both? It's interesting. Um, I I realized that the great thing about academia was that if I if I continued in it, it was. Um, and by the way, I had no idea how difficult that was going to be. Yeah. You know that, that I would be surrounded all the time with just photography. You know, I, I looked at my teachers and I looked at other people who I respected in the field, most of whom were professors at various schools. And I thought all they get to do all day long is sit around and talk about photography and then they get to make their photographs and um, that's that's 100% their life. So I realized early on that's the path I wanted to follow. Yeah. Uh, but first and foremost was the idea that I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to do something with the work. Um, so it was more that I saw academia as a path that was going to allow me to be 100% immersed in the life, but also support what I wanted to do. And at what point did you realize you had some talent in this? Was it someone else who told you or? Did... That's a question that still lingers <laughs> out there, by the way. But, um, but I would say that I think when, when I was in that undergraduate program, uh, again, let me put that into a context of I was a little older than the other students by the time I started yeah. in that program, but I very quickly sort of connected with the work of a few other photographers who weren't necessarily, who weren't my, my, my teacher at Colorado State. And I started to uh, try to emulate their work, to try to study their work and learn things from it. I reached out and connected to those people you know, and I was like, can I, can I show you some things that I've done? And um, and when those people started to be to respond in a positive way, nobody nobody said to me, "Oh my gosh, you are you are fantastic." But but people people would say, "This is interesting," you know, or "I like what you've done here," you know, um, which is of course how I learned to be a teacher was watching these people right. interact with me. And so I thought, okay, if somebody finds this interesting, I think maybe what I'm doing has some potential and, uh, and I'm just going to keep, keep working in that direction. And when you say they found some things interesting, I'd like to pause on that for a second, because I think for a lot of us who are not experts in photography, it is a little hard. To, we see images that are arresting or um, beautiful and to our own eyes, but what makes or what made your photographs, if you remember, interesting to those who are experts in the field? Like, what are they looking for? Well, it's a great question, um, and it's something I, you know, that you I struggle a lot trying to help students understand this because we have such a sense that a photograph is a representation of the thing that was in front of the camera. Yeah, but what a photograph. And I think what some of my work was doing and what I try to do in all of my work really is to have the photograph transform what was in front of the camera into something even more interesting. And of course, that happens to a lot of technical things, not the least of which, well, this is more of a dimensional thing, but it's, it's putting the three-dimensional world into a two-dimensional space. And when that space gets compressed, suddenly interesting things happen. And that was something that I picked up on really, really early in making photographs that what you could do with the background and the foreground by compressing them would be different than if you were standing in front of the thing. So, so when, when you do that well, um, and in an interesting way, it becomes, you know, a compelling part of a photograph. And I, I think that really is what's required for a photograph to become a work of art is that transformation. And somehow, 
uh, towards something new, right. towards something surprising. Right. And I notice uh, several times you've referred to making a photograph rather than taking. And yeah. is that what you're getting at when you say you make a photograph? Absolutely. And again, this is something I learned from my early mentors, but it made perfect sense to me. You know, uh, uh, I like the I mean, when I work with a camera, I think about the composition. I think about I'm putting parts together. You know, it's a picture problem that you're developing in there in a way that's very similar to if I was standing in front of a blank piece of paper and deciding to make a drawing. You know, I'd make a mark here. I'd make a mark there. I'd think over here in the corner, it needs something. I need to sort of balance this over here. I'm looking to the viewfinder. I'm doing that exact same thing. Right. Um, I sort of don't like the sort of concept of taking, you know, it's got a little bit of a, yeah, right. uh, there's a negative connotation and and I, so, so making is what, so I, and I also, this is a, a thing that it's almost like empowering in a way, you know, it's something I always talk to my students about, you know, they, they end up usually asking me the same question that you just did or pointing out the same thing. They're like, you're talking about making. And I'm like, that's right. That's what I want you to do. I want you to make a picture, you know, be involved. So you've seen huge changes in technology related to photography from the time that you began yeah. for, with an Instamatic uh, yeah. to, you know, now- 126 school cart that film, that 126 cartridge you just plugged re- into the back. I remember, yeah. yeah. Uh, now you can take an almost unlimited number of pictures. Do you feel like the degree of difficulty of producing a great photo has lessened any? Since you could take a thousand photos, where in the past you were maybe limited to, I don't know, 10, 50 shots? It's a good question. Uh, I don't know if if it's gotten any easier because a good photograph is still going to have to have structure. It's still going to have to have all the things combined. If, if, you know, obviously, like when I was working on, say, uh, Pompeii or Carrara, a couple of projects of mine, uh, I was using an 8x10 camera and I had film holders that had individual sheets of film in it. I would go for the day in the quarry and I would have only 18 sheets of film with me to, for the entire day. So I oftentimes would set up the camera, spend 20, 30 minutes getting everything composed, and then I'd have to say, is this film worthy? Is this is this worth a sheet of film? You oh, know, and, right. and 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 so I probably lost some pictures, some good pictures, because I talked myself out of it. Oh, Whereas with say digital with digital photography, obviously you can you I could take that picture and move on and not worry about it. So it's possible that more pictures are uh, made because they're not worrying about the film. But I don't necessarily think it's easier to make a good picture. Right. So you mentioned um, Carrara and Pompeii, uh, and I'd love to talk to you about some of your projects. So I'm curious what draws you to a particular project. Um, So you spent time in Carrara and and then Pompeii. You spent time with, uh, was it a six-person football team? In eastern Colorado, yeah. Um, How do you decide, okay, this is what I want to photograph? Well, as you pointed out in the introduction, I I mainly, well, I find myself very interested in the concept of place and how a photograph or how artwork can sort of communicate some information about a place. Photography has this great ability to deal with the details and the specifics. So uh, that's one of the things I love about it. But almost always, it's the visual quality of the thing. Uh, so I'll talk about Carrara, for instance. The at the quarries themselves are these magnificent structures that are like cubist paintings, like something Paul Cezanne would 
have made on a on a canvas. Uh, and then there's this incredible light from the Ligurian Sea that transforms the place into shadows and walls of glimmering white. And so it's absolutely beautiful. But then I love the fact that this history of Carrara was there, and maybe there was some way to sort of talk about that through photography. So not only make these visually arresting, transformative photographs, but also deal with the sort of historical nature of it. I mean, Carrara has been in use since the Etruscan times, right. you know, and the Romans up through the Renaissance of Michelangelo, and still they're still taking marble out and making fantastic works of art, Louise Bourgeois and other people um, still working in those quarries. And there's a connection to UVA with Carrara. That's right. That's right. Yes. Uh, after I had produced that work, uh, I was walking across in front of the Freyland Museum one day, and I saw these two Italian guys doing a 3D scan of uh, one of the old capitals in front of that sits in front of the, the museum, mm -hmm. and I heard him speaking Italian. So I went over and said, "Ah, come on, you know, oh, you know." They started speaking Italian to him, and then they said they were from Carrara, and then they pointed out that they had been charged with you know making remaking the the capitals for the rotunda. And I went to Jody Kilbasa and I said, "You know, I just did a bunch of work there. I'd love to sort of try to figure out a way to document what these guys are doing." And so. I ended up going to Carrara two or three times and filming the studio and making the capitals and making a series of photographs uh, documenting it. And it was amazing to watch them, you know, bringing the stone down from the quarry right. and then working with photographs and their 3D scans of what existed from the old capitals of modeling in clay, what was going to be the new capitals, then scanning those and working with the machines that carve out the basic forms and I got to be there while they were putting the capitals on the rotunda uh, when they brought them back to the to, to Virginia. So tell me a little bit about the six-person football team. So that project, you know, you asked about how I pick a, an idea. That that Eastern Colorado space, that prairie space out there, is uh, something that ever since I moved to Colorado, I was absolutely in love with. Yeah. Uh, just that wide open space. Um, I made a whole series of tree photographs out there, and I've done other things, but one time when I was leaving Colorado at the end of summer to drive back to Virginia to start the semester, um, I was I had an old pickup truck that didn't have any air conditioning in it, so I would drive in the evenings as much <laughs> as I could. And it was the sun was setting and I was, you know, it was getting pretty dark and I was driving down this road and I saw this beautiful green field glowing off in the horizon. And I it was just like a beacon, so I drove over to it, and there was a guy out there watering the grass. It's normally just brown and dead yeah, yeah. out there, and this green grass was there. And he started talking to him, and he said, oh, this is where the Prairie football team plays. You know, it's a six-man football team. And I was like, six-man? You know, and I sort of learned a little bit about it. And I had a sabbatical coming up the next fall, and I just decided, you know what? It would be cool to embed myself in this little town uh, and with this high, this this the school, kindergarten through senior in high school had less than 150 students in it, and this is why it's six man football. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there are fewer than X number of students, they can play this particular type of ball. And so the next year, I went out there. I got a residency in Fort Collins that I where I could stay, and every day I drove out to the prairie and filmed from their first day of practice till the last game of their season. So I made a video that I've made a couple of short films with, but I was also photographing it. Right. And I was really interested in how the life of that school, and in particular, those boys on the football team, said something about the place. 
So once again, I was trying to use the, the sort of human interaction, the human sort of element to speak about the place. Um, I, you know, a lot of them lived on ranches. I went out to their ranches, but there was a certain character of the space in the photographs and the films that I made that I tried to be part of the sort of like this expansive like universe that's just endless horizons right. for as far as you can see and not a tree in sight. Um, but then here's this football game that's being played on Friday nights under the lights. That's just ranchers and roughnecks from the oil rigs and families are out there with, you know, one thing that was kind of amazing is they would park with their trucks, um, mostly trucks, uh, pointing toward the field. And, uh, when there would be a touch and people would sit in their cars cause it'd be kind of windy and cold out there as, right. as the winter, as the fall progressed. And when a touchdown would happen, they would all honk their horns, you know, and flash their headlights. That was the sort of celebration. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. It was really amazing out there. And how did this community feel about being photographed by this guy from UVA? They embraced it. They got they into it. You know, uh, or th I remember at one point there was, a uh, the only sort of odd thing that happened was early on at a, one of the, because there was a lot of sort of potlucks and things with all the families and the coach would be talking to the families and the yeah. players would be there. And I was at one of them and somebody stood up and uh, did a sort of pre-dinner prayer, you know, and I was kind of filming this. And, and afterwards, one of the family members came over and said, you're not going to like make a point about that prayer oh, what and you're saying. Make, you know and, and turn this into some sort of like conservative you know oh, crazy saying. christian thing and i was like you know what that's the least of my yeah, interest right, here right. you know i'm interested in your your son and the players and what they do out there and the life they have and this this space you know so but otherwise everybody was very uh, embraced what i was doing to the point that you know after the summer after i did it after i made the film one of the boys who was one of the more popular boys on the team was killed in an auto accident. I'm sorry to hear that. And yeah, it was very sad. And uh, the book is dedicated to him. But um, his family reached out for a lot of photographs that I had mm. of him. And then they were able to sort of make a big installation at the school based on some of the work that I had done. Because, you know, unlike me in the fifth grade, a lot of kids aren't thinking about documenting their own lives. Sure. You know, I mean, maybe that's changed a little bit now with cell phones, yeah. but uh, but they still, they don't think of the pictures or making pictures to sort of have a memory in any way. Yeah. And so, so there was nothing except what they might've had from me. Do you think it enhances your photography when you know your subjects well, or does it create an obstacle because you know your subjects well? Interesting. That's an interesting question. I would say for me, uh, it, well, it's a little bit of both. Um, I like to be surprised. I like to sort of go in uh, wide open and say, oh, look at that over there. Look at that over there. That's interesting. Or how could I do this? But like, I usually go back to places time and again. Hmm. So for instance, the football project obviously was one very long season and I didn't, I had plenty of work. I mean, I was there for four months. So I sort of learned a lot as I was going on, but for something like Carrara or Pompeii or some other projects I've done, I go back a couple of times at least because I learned something from the first work I make. Right. Um, and, and then I figure out what maybe I should study that would might maybe help me learn a little, know a little bit more. Pompeii was a great example of that, like learn, figuring out what else was there to photograph than what I could find just wandering around on my own 
you know, in the beginning. So I guess what I would say is, you know, the initial surprise, the initial fascination with newness is always great. But then, then I want, I want to be able to go a little deeper. Yeah. But y'all, you know, in my case, I feel like it's very important for me to always stay a little innocent of what's possible and be, and still have an element of surprise. And I'm curious, I don't know if this question will make sense, but is one of your goals with your photographs to get at what you might call a deep truth about the place that you're photographing? And, I, and part of the reason I ask is because in the beginning you talked about how you can manipulate a 3D space once it's represented in a 2D space. Is that manipulation a part of an effort to, to show something that maybe is even more real and more truthful than you might see with a naked eye? That, um, I do understand the question. And I guess the first thing I'd want to say is that I don't think about it necessarily as manipulation. Okay, um, fair I enough. Mean, it's, yeah. just, it's just something, it's just something that happens, you know, when, when a photograph, it just compresses the space. Right. Yeah. So it's more of a, um, that if, as I, the word I used before as a transformation is usually somewhat of a surprise. And then I it see. require, it requires me to sort of figure out the best, the best way to, to present that. You know, like maybe I move to the left, maybe I move to the right, maybe in the dark room or or on Photoshop, I enhance something or bring something out. But I don't really. I try to not show my hand in terms of. I see. The, yeah, yeah. What 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 you would maybe call manipulation in, in photography. Um, but to the real depth of your question, I guess what I would say is, I'm trying to I'm trying to make a work of art, and so in doing that. And this is why I chose to be a photographer. I'm interested in the thing I photographed, but I'm also, I would say, more interested in the thing I'm making. Mm. And so what I love about photography is it's going to always have that representational aspect. The, the marble quarries of Carrara are going to be in front of me. A tree from the Colorado Plains is going to be in front of right. me. But I'm dealing with the frame. I'm dealing with the four edges and what takes place in the middle of that. And once it's hanging on the wall or in a book, it's about that place, but it's also about the experience of the work of art. And that's the, that's the kind of quality of attention span. So that, that's a great sort of concept one of my mentors uh, introduced me to is this notion of the quality of the attention span you bring to something. Mm. I, I think I'm trying to enhance the quality of the attention span a viewer would bring to my photograph, but not necessarily feeling like it's going to make the place more real yeah. or more powerful. Right. Um, I, I mean, I, hopefully I position myself in such a way that the, the great thing about the place is just there to begin with, you know, yeah, right. where I choose to stand. So unfortunately, um, we're close to time. I could talk to you for hours. So let me yeah. ask you just a couple of uh, final questions. One is, what are you working on now? Well, I'm in the middle of editing the book, of, a book about Japan. I did a, um, a pilgrimage in Japan a number of just before the pandemic, uh, where I walked uh, a 1200 kilometer path around the island of Shikoku. And, you know, I, I took a small digital camera, you know, I was originally just going to do it for the pilgrimage sake, I wasn't even going to take a camera. And one of my one of my mentors was like, 
you're a photographer. <laughs> you should probably take a camera. So, so I got a small digital camera, but what was so wonderful, because I normally work with big cameras and large things, right. it was much more like, just like a, like not to overuse the word, but snapshot. Yeah. You know? It was more like I was making sketches of every little thing I saw versus the setting up. And so now we're putting together a book of about 120 photographs taken on oh, that journey. Great. And I'm, I'm also writing some things and- uh, uh, so that's, that's the current project that's what's going on. So my guess is I'm not alone in admiring your work, but also being envious of what you get to do <laughs> for a living. So for those who are interested in following in your path, what advice would you have for someone who is interested in photography and is interested in becoming an artist like yourself? Well, obviously you just gotta do the work. You know, obviously making pictures, uh, trying to show them to people whose opinions you respect. Mm. And, you know, to try to get your work out in the world, that's a very difficult thing because as you pointed out early on, a lot there's a lot of people who make photographs. Right. And to try to stand out somehow, you have to not only make interesting work, but put it in front of the people who are going to help you put it in front of other people. And that that has become much, much more difficult to do. It wasn't easy to do when I was starting right. out, but comparatively, it was a lot easier to, to get your foot in the door and have a museum curator say, oh, that's interesting. You know, I'm going to take a look at that. And, or I'm, you know, let me buy one of those pictures. And then they put it on the wall and then somebody else sees it. Now, often a lot of museums are buying work and it never makes it on the wall. It just goes into their archives. So I guess I would just, you know, the simplest thing is to just, what was that thing that there was a, like a, a saying, it was like, dress up and stay home, you know, like, <laughs> like, like do the work and then hope that something comes from it right. once, once it starts to get good. Right. That's, that's a pretty bad answer. No, no, no. It's a, it's a real answer and an honest one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill, thank you so much. Uh, it's Thanks, been a total I, pleasure to speak with you. Same here. Same here. I really appreciate it. Inside UVA is a production of WTJU 91.1 FM and the Office of the President at the University of Virginia. Inside UVA is produced by Jaden Evans, Arian Ballou, Mary Gardner-McGee, and Matt Weber. Special thanks to Maria Jones and McGregor McCants. Our music is Turning to You from Blue Dot Sessions. You can listen and subscribe to Inside UVA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon with another conversation about the life of the university.